0: Welcome everyone to the On Poly podcast.
1: I'm Steve Paikin. And I'm John Michael McGrath.
0: Today on the pod, the Ontario Energy Board wants you to pay more for your natural gas. Energy Minister Todd Smith disagrees. Guess who won this fight?
1: We're hearing rumors of a new omnibus bill that's headed to Queen's Park.
0: And the Premier is dropping hints about a huge infrastructure project, perhaps the biggest in the
1: world. What's that all about? It's Friday, February 16th, 2024. So let's get to it.
0: Now, before we get to our three issues, we always like to dive into the mailbag. It gives, uh, gives you a chance to give us some feedback, and uh, you can do that by emailing us at onpolitics at org.
1: So, what have we got in the mailbag this week? Uh, this comes from Febran Budiman uh, from Milton, Ontario, who asks, One comment and one question for the On Poly podcast. Under the new federal redistricting, there will be two Milton Mm ridings. There's currently just one. Uh, So Parm Gill, who uh, we've talked about, uh, has resigned from provincial politics. Uh, He's going to run in one of uh, the two ridings should the federal election happen after April this year. But the other one is open for now. Uh, On a related topic, a question, will there be a redistricting in Ontario? The current map is mostly based on federal redistricting in effect since 2013. Now that there is a new federal map, when will Ontario adjust theirs?
0: Okay, some good questions there. Let's do a little background and catch everybody up here. A couple of weeks ago, Progressive Conservative MPP Parmgill resigned his position as the Minister of Red Tape Reduction to run federally for Pierre Polyev's Conservative Party of Canada. Since he was representing Milton in the Ontario legislature, it stands to reason that Mr. Gill will be running in one of those two federal ridings that you just referenced, Burlington-Milton West or Georgetown-Milton East. And one of those ridings will likely have Liberal MP and former Olympian Adam Vancouverden as the competition, since he is the current MP for the riding of Milton federally, whereas the other riding will presumably have uh, just all newcomers with no former sitting member. So... Does Parm Gill run against Vancouverton, who had more than 50% of the vote last time, or does he take a shot at the new riding? That is what he's got to figure out between now and the next election.
1: Yes, and and this is one of those cases where it'll it'll be uh, revealing uh, what – uh, the outcome is what Parm Gill chooses, but uh, if he does choose to run against Vancouver, then I mean, it's a very different political environment than it was uh, in 2021.
0: That would be the gutsier play, wouldn't it, to it, go against the former sitting member?
1: Right, and I mean he could probably make himself a lot of fans in the current federal Conservative Party if he ended up uh, defeating uh, Vancouverton. I, I know that there's always acrimony between political parties. I think uh, a, a lot of Conservatives would uh, uh, particularly enjoy uh, defeating Vancouverton, but that's just sort of, general political acrimony. Yeah, who defeated Lisa Raitt the previous election. She was very popular. Yes, yes. Uh, Lisa Raitt, of course, has has ruled out uh, running for uh, federal or provincial politics at the moment. Um, But uh, on the second question, the uh, federal redistricting, or rather I should say the provincial redistricting one, uh, this is uh, something we we know a little bit about. historically, Ontario has followed the federal redistricting ever since uh, 1999, when uh, Mike Harris introduced and passed the uh, Fewer Politicians Act, which uh, did what it said at the title. Um, it, it, it shrank the number of MPPs at Queen's Park. You know who the biggest casualty of that act was? Uh, please, do, do tell the audience. This is
0: oh, you know, so you know, right? Well, you're talking about the premier's father. Exactly. Yes. Doug Ford's father whose name was also Doug Ford, when they went to fewer politicians, he lost his job.
1: Yeah, Um, but uh, when the Liberals came into power in 2003, they uh, modified the plan slightly so that Ontario retains all of its Northern seats. Those don't change no matter what happens federally. seems safe to say that the uh, current government is going to probably follow the same script uh, when I asked uh, the premier's office about this a few months back uh, about whether they intended to preserve the northern ridings, they didn't want to commit to anything they didn't give a you know a detailed answer uh, because this is legislation that has not been introduced or passed by the House yet, but they did say uh, that they they always intend to to protect the voice of Northern Ontario at the legislature. So uh, they have time to do this. Uh, It doesn't happen automatically. They do have to introduce legislation to change the makeup of uh, Queen's Park, uh, but they can do that at any time before 2026. While we're talking about Parm Gill though, I mean, uh, he may have started a trend. There could be uh, more Ontario MPPs who are also looking for the exits and uh, may choose to jump to federal politics. There's a bunch of different reasons why uh, an MPP might do that. That's a a more prominent job. And as you and I have talked about before on this podcast, MPs and city councillors but not MPPs have Mm. pensions Uh, and there are totally normal uh, household finance reasons why a person might seek uh, a political career at a different level.
0: Federal MPs are paid much more than provincial MPs and there is a pension federally and there's no pension provincially. Thank Mike Harris for that. He got rid of the MPP's pension back in the 1990s. So there. Mike Harris comes up a lot. He does, uh, doesn't he? I I, I believe uh, you've got a
1: a show about that. (laughs) That may very well be the case. Stay tuned to other episodes of The Agenda for that. Again, if you'd like to ask about the content on the show, please email us at onpolitics at tvo.org. Make sure to include your first name, last name, and the city you live in. Now on to issue one. Late last year,
0: Ontario's Energy Minister Todd Smith said he would be introducing legislation to reverse a decision that the Ontario Energy Board had made on new homes and how they are heated.
1: JMM, pick up the story if you would. Uh, Really uh, bringing the audience in on the the sexiest possible topic of energy regulation. Um, It is always uh, odd when the government announces something when they set out a press release very late in December, uh, as this was. Uh, I was actually on vacation and I checked my inbox and there's this this news release and that almost never happens. Uh, The government was responding to a ruling from the Ontario Energy Board that said that uh, Enbridge, the gas utility in the province of Ontario, had to pay up front for new homes connected to the gas grid instead of amortizing the cost over decades which is the the normal practice or has been the normal practice so far. Uh, OEB's decision was based on... broadly, the the topic of the the energy transition, as they call it, right? Homes using more electricity to power their cars and heat their homes instead of natural gas. Uh, The OEB basically said, like, we don't know how much longer this gas infrastructure is going to be useful for, so if we're going to build more of it, let's pay for it up front. In their decision, the OEB estimated that uh, the cost would be something like $4,400 per new home. Uh, That Didn't sit well with the government. Uh, Energy Minister Todd Smith uh, announced that uh, he will be introducing legislation uh, basically as soon as the legislature returns later this month uh, to reverse this decision uh, specifically on the grounds that it will make uh, new homes more expensive. Now, Minister Smith said
0: that reversing this decision would help keep shovels in the ground for home development, which, of course, this government is very hot on. Uh, But is whether you use a gas furnace or a heat pump really
1: holding things up? You know, this is the fair question, right? Uh, There is a trend towards uh, more electrification in homes. I mean, it's a bit of like everything old is new again, right? In the 50s and 60s, you saw campaigns for the all-electric home. um, And now we're seeing a return to that, this time with things like heat pumps and electric cars. Um, Ontario, relative to other provinces, uh, could be, I think, fairly said to be lagging behind a bit uh, out of... a uh, however many millions of homes we have in this province, only about 400,000 currently Mm -hmm. use heat pumps. Uh, Those numbers are substantially higher in some other provinces. Uh, That said, incentivizing developers to choose heat pumps for new builds instead of using gas furnaces traditionally, um, could be a way to build in more uh, more efficiency in the new homes that we do build. Uh, The Environmental Commissioner of Ontario uh, positioned that since been folded into the Auditor General's office, uh, had criticized some of the current policies which uh, encourage new natural gas infrastructure, even in cases where uh, heat pumps would be more affordable.
0: So the situation of Energy Minister Todd Smith introducing legislation to rebuke a decision made by the Ontario Energy Board, how big a deal is that?
1: It's not a small deal, certainly. Uh, I, I did speak with some environmental advocates who said, you know, Quite aside from the substance of the decision, they, they really didn't like the sight of uh, what is supposed to be a professional arms length regulator being overruled by uh, the provincial government, basically, on on broadly speaking, you, you, they're, they're being overruled by the political side of the government. And uh, they, that was, was concerning. Um, it's also clearly a case where the government is, is picking a side, right? They're picking natural gas over uh, a cleaner energy source. Um you know it could in theory be reversed by another government in time uh, you know after the na- the next election this is uh, something i wrote for tvo.org you know this is not um, a huge decision in terms of its direct stakes right we're talking about a few thousand more homes that will be built between now and the next election that will be connected to the gas grid that's out of an installed base of about 4 million homes uh, between ontario and quebec so it's not uh, the end of the world and, and, and we shouldn't like catastrophize it or, mm-hmm. or over dramatize it. it. But it
0: will pollute more.
1: It will pollute more and you know it will it will add to the margins and you know the margins can matter. Um, and, and the broader issue here is about the sustainability of our energy system overall and uh, how quickly or not so quickly we are transitioning to uh, cleaner systems. Okay. With that, on to issue two. Now, sticking
0: with housing, there's some reporting from the investigative online magazine The Narwhal that Ontario may be looking to expand its power to expropriate land. The so-called Get It Done Act could be introduced when the legislature returns the Get It Done Act. I wonder where they got that line from. I I
1: was going to say, you know, (laughs) this bill has not been presented to the legislature. You and I have not seen the text. We are going off of the Narwhals reporting. Uh, But based on the title alone, I I find this a very credible report. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds like it. Sounds like it. So what's it all about? This is, uh, again, from the Narwhals reporting, uh, based on the idea that uh, in order to get uh, more housing built, we need to get more infrastructure built, right? You, You plug homes into things like roads and wires and and pipes, and that's uh, how we get homes built. And uh, one of the ways that you do that, uh, particularly for things like highways, is you expropriate the land, right? If you need to build a very big, long highway, you don't go and negotiate with every single landowner uh, on that route, the government just says, Hi, we're taking your land, here's some money. Um, Now, there's a process to do that legally and fairly. And um, traditionally, the government has to meet a test of, of, uh, it's it's called a hearing of necessity. Um, The government has already, with some of its transit projects, uh, dramatically scaled back that process and and made it much easier to prove necessity for uh, expropriation, they could now be doing uh, something like that for uh, new highway projects, including for uh, the more controversial one like the, the Highway 413 in the Western GTA. Well, yeah.
0: In fact, in a recent episode, we did mention that, uh, well, I think we were talking about the Green belt, actually, and we said that, you know, good process, as boring as that sounds, actually is really important when it comes to good governance. There are supposed to be checks and balances in place that prevent shenanigans from happening. Clearly that did not appear to be the case in the Greenbelt Bill uh, story, but the theory is good process leads to good governance, leads to good outcomes, and that's what we want at the end of the day. So what, what is it about the current process that the current premier finds either
1: too slow or too ineffective or whatever? Well, I mentioned those hearings of necessity. That is one uh, part of the process that uh, they, uh, as I said, they've, they've already sped up for uh, transit pr- uh, projects. Um, and there are other steps as well. Like, you, you know, these kinds of large projects um, involve environmental assessments. Uh, there's obviously been some friction between the federal and provincial governments uh, over uh, whether the 413 would require a federal uh, impact assessment. Uh, province as well. sure hopes not. Well, exactly. Um, you know, the uh, province also has to uh, work with uh, other expropriating and approval authorities. So that could be, uh, you know, municipalities. Um, and, uh, you know, they're all well-intentioned processes. They all were, you know, governments don't create hurdles for no reason. Um, They were all justified when we started doing these things, uh, in some cases, decades ago. Uh, The government is, I think, looking at these things with a fresher eye and saying, you know, actually, uh, this process that we implemented to keep a highway from getting bulldozed through somebody's neighborhood 50 years ago in that era of highway building, it, it doesn't need to, to pass the same test as uh, the highways we're building today. Now, of course, the government's critics would say, actually, yes, we still need to, to <laughs> pass those tests as well. So that's you know part of the argument.
0: We actually did go through all this 50 years ago. It was called the Spadina Expressway, and a guy named Bill Davis stopped it uh, before it could in my view, rip its way right through a bunch of neighborhoods like Forest Hill and the Annex and go all the way down to the waterfront. And 50 years later, we're still arguing about whether that was the right decision. Uh, I think it was. Anything else about this story we should know?
1: Uh, there are, uh, again, the Narwhal reports that uh, we could see changes to uh, urban boundaries. Now, this has been sort of uh, uh, A flip-flop and now potentially a (laughs) re-flip. The government uh, last year expanded a bunch of urban boundaries throughout uh, the province uh, allowing these cities to um, open up new lands for development, in some cases forcing them against their clearly expressed opinions uh, to um, uh, expand their their urban boundaries. Uh, Then late last year the Government reversed that decision, um, and now they are potentially uh, bringing those urban boundary expansions back now I, you know let's get let 's get nerdy um, <laughs> for a change for a change uh, the The difference is, seems to be that whereas they previously used the minister's power uh, like to executively uh, expand the urban boundaries, they would now do that with legislation. Um, there's a bunch of reasons why you might do that. Uh, one is that you can, with legislation, also say things like, not only are we expanding urban boundaries, but all of the, the avenues that you normally have to appeal something like that don't apply. Um, The the government can, using the legislature, short circuit a lot of those things. Um, We don't know that that's what they're going to do or why they are going to do that. As we say, we haven't seen the bill yet, but that's one reason why you might use the legislature instead of using the powers that the Minister of Municipal Affairs and Housing, in this case, uh, Paul Calandra, already has. The uh, government is also responding to uh, concerns from uh, Indigenous community about uh, proposed changes. The Chiefs of Ontario and First Nations strongly opposed uh, Bill 23. This was uh, introduced uh, shortly after uh, the last election. It is called the More Homes Built Faster Act. It does not actually have seem to have gotten more homes built faster yet. We're still working on that here (laughs) in Ontario. problem
0: if that's what the act's called.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, A number of indigenous communities uh, had hoped for more consultation, more engagement uh, over uh, potential environmental harms uh, from Bill 23. There was another element uh, that uh, the NARWAL reported on that uh, caught my eye, uh, so-called special building zones where uh, the province might take over local planning directly uh, for priority projects you you could guess at a, a number of different ways they might use that. Uh, one thing we have talked about on the podcast before is Ontario Place, where uh, the province has made it very clear that they are just going to go ahead with that and their redevelopment of that land. And part of the new deal between uh, Ontario and Toronto that was announced uh, late last year is basically that um, uh, Mayor Olivia Chow was sort of stepping back and saying, not my problem anymore. It's called Ontario Place, not Toronto Place. Exactly. That was her line. Um, so... Uh, That will be something I will be looking at very, very uh, closely when and if we see a a bill introduced like this. As we say, this is all still uh, in flux. We haven't seen a bill. We haven't seen the text of legislation. Um, We will have to see the entirety of the bill uh, before we can really um, uh, pick it apart and uh, judge it for our listeners. So stay tuned. Absolutely. And with that,
0: on to issue three. Well, there was a moment at a press conference a few weeks back that has been on your mind, JMM. The premier was in Toronto delivering some remarks about expanding roads and highways, and he said this. And that's, that's just, as we speak now, the $28 billion. Uh, We have a few other ideas up our sleeves that are, are going to really, really going to be incredible. Uh, we're thinking of a project that's going to be one of the largest projects in the world, but stay tuned for that one.
1: That is a heck of a hint to drop. What do you think he's hinting at? I mean, we don't know. I asked the Premier's office if they would care to elaborate, and uh, as we record this, they have not responded. Um, There's a few things, though. Like, There's a few possibilities, a few broad categories. Let me uh, put it that way. Um, He was speaking at the Ontario Road Builders Association annual meeting, so that's like one clue. Maybe this is a highway project, right? Um, Ontario has some very large road projects underway already. Uh, My mind goes to the Gordie Howe Bridge down by Windsor, Detroit. Uh, Now that's a federal project, though there are substantial provincial uh, contributions to that.
0: Now, you know, can I just jump in? Yeah. I know you're not a sports fan, but do you know who Gordie Howe was? He was a hockey player, correct? He was a hockey player? Before Wayne Gretzky, he was absolutely
1: the greatest of all time. Uh, well- so just FYI. Our, our new audience members are going to have to learn that I'm absolutely <laughs> hopeless with sports this is,
0: this is why I raised it. And of course, the, 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 to me, this was the best thing Stephen Harper ever did was create this Gordie Howe bridge because it linked Detroit- where Gordie Howe played for almost all of his career with Canada, where he's from. So it was a beautiful thing. So that is a... Boy, did I get us off the path there. But anyway, <laughs> get us back on the path. <laughs> uh,
1: so that is one example of a major uh, infrastructure project, but it's already underway. So I don't think that's what the premier is talking about. Uh, one thing that occurred to me, though, uh, we've talked about uh, transit already uh, in this uh, episode of the podcast. Uh, back in 2022, the Ministry of Transportation published uh, what they called the Long-Term Transportation Plan that included a sort of, like, wish list for all of the major projects the government was considering out until about 2050 or so. And that included some very big ideas that they said at the time uh, they were in the midst of doing, you know, substantial planning work for. Uh, one included uh, something they, they build as the Ontario Line Loop Extension, which, um, if our uh, viewers and listeners know, the, the rough plan for the Ontario line is to start at the what is currently still the Ontario Science Centre, mm-hmm. go south down to sort of downtown Toronto, and then turn west. Um, the idea of this loop extension would be to keep going west until you hit about Kipling, then go north to Pearson, and then come back east, and then go all the way across the top of the city and be this this massive... Circular. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. A, a loop extension. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I don't know that that's what the Premier was referring to. Um, again, the Premier's office did not uh, answer my questions. But um, it's the kind of idea, it's it's the scale that would be one of the biggest projects in the world as the Premier build it. It would be truly, truly massive. And, and like that's in the context of a... A, a transportation building uh, spree that this government is on that is already quite large. And,
0: and not only that, I mean, that would presumably take decades to complete. I mean, that's something that that our kids might not, my, our kids
1: might be grandparents before that thing were ever done. I, I think it's fair to say that if the premier announces this, he will not be the one to get it done. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're right, this takes, stay tuned to
0: a new level. Uh, the Ontario line itself uh, has barely begun construction. The premier is already previewing an extension that won't start construction for years or even decades. Is that right?
1: Well, if I'm right, then yes, uh, that would be uh, basically the sum of it. But, you know, we could also, uh, it's its the On Poly, the politics podcast, so I will make a political point here. Um, we know that the progressive conservative government and, and the PC party uh, have done pretty well by emphasizing to voters their desire to build and keep building. And so let's go over that route one more time, right? It would almost perfectly go through ridings that are currently held by the PC party. Oh, you're so cynical. Oh, it's, it's a disease. I, I apologize already. Um, now, it might be a perfectly defensible transit project. And in fact, you know, I think it, it could very well be. I think, it, like, and I'm biased towards spending money on public transit anyway. Um, but the political map And the transit planning map uh, sometimes align in funny ways. And that is something I would say is not true uh, only about this government. (laughs) Well,
0: since you mentioned it, I well remember Bob Ray's government back in the early 1990s deciding to create a subway line under Eglinton Avenue, right near our station here. And when Mike Harris came into power in 1995, he cancelled it. In part, he said we couldn't afford it. But I've always been suspicious about that. I always felt, as you talk about... Transit maps overlapping with political maps. Do you know who's riding that Eglinton line was going to end up in on the West End? With that Bob- Bob <laughs> Ray's, there you go. So that might've had something to do with it as well. Anyway, is that it for us? I believe so. We I think that's notes. it for us. And that is the On Poly podcast for this February 16th, 2024.
1: You can follow our show on Apple Podcasts so that you get notified each time a new episode is available. And if you already follow our show, help a friend follow it too. You can also see our podcast conversation on television every Friday night at 8 and 11 Eastern as the first half of the agenda. And it's also available on the TVO Today YouTube channel. Any feedback you have, we're
0: happy to hear it, good, bad, or indifferent. Write us an email at TVO.org. Make sure you include your first and last name and where you're located, because we'd love to give you credit. This
1: week's episode was produced and edited by Matthew O'Mara and Colin Kish.
0: Production support from Jonathan Hallowell, Christine Gardner, Arianna Longley, Vito Tagarelli, Jeff Cusera, and Jennifer DeRosa. Managing Editor is Katie O'Connor. Lori Few is the Executive Producer of Digital. John Ferry is Vice President, Programming and Content. Special thanks to our wonderful studio crew for making our first podcast episode happen. Thanks, guys, this was really terrific. Until next Friday, everybody, bye-bye. See you soon. I guess they didn't feel the need to put our pictures up there since we were actually uh, here. Our
1: faces will be visible this way. <laughs>
0: <laughs> they even spelled my name right, which is a
1: beautiful thing. Uh, yeah, they, they got the uh, You don't get your
0: name misspelled ever. That's a, the luck of having a last name McGrath. Have a last name like Paken, nobody spells it right.
1: Yeah, I've seen people really seem to want to add ease to your name. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: I don't know why. I don't know why. I remember once when I was hosting the six o'clock news on CBC, they supered me. You know, good evening, I'm Steve Paikin. Here's the six o'clock news. And they put my name up there and they misspelled it.
1: Because uh... Uh, I can beat that. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, on a Sunday, uh, my dad got called in to like to do a phone in for uh, CBC News World, um, and the poor intern who was uh, helping out on the Sunday shift uh, slapped a photo of me from a Google search oh. result <laughs> <laughs> up, as my dad was doing the phone in. <laughs> Well, that's the
0: problem when you got father and son with the same name.
1: Yeah, same name, and as it ended up, same job. And same <laughs> job, right, right. Very funny.